If we don't let ourselves fall, if we never practice outside our comfort zone, if we never push ourselves to the point where we do fall, if we play it safe the whole time, then you could argue in a way we are kind of failing, failing ourselves, selling ourselves short and not fulfilling our potential. To play devil's advocate though, given our line of work and the fact that potentially there are our patients' lives at stake, is playing it safe problematic? Is there such a thing as playing it too safe? In the true sense of the word, no, but staying within that comfort zone leaves little to no room for development. Where is the progress? Where does the career satisfaction come in? Welcome to the Positivity Podcast. I'm your host, Emma McConnell, equine vet, company director, wife, stepmom to one, chihuahua enthusiast and lover of miniature ponies. We are on a mission to bring happiness back into veterinary medicine by shining the brightest of spotlights on all the positive aspects of the veterinary industry. Through the sharing of stories, we will showcase the magic and joy that comes with being a veterinary professional encouraging you to remain motivated about this special vocation and helping you become as mentally wealthy as possible, both at work and in life. Every one of us has a unique story that is worth sharing, and this is the perfect platform to share the extraordinary tales of our colleagues and community. So settle in and rediscover the joy of veterinary medicine and get ready to feel inspired and energised about your chosen career. This is The Positivity Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Episode 5 of The Positivity Podcast. I would first just like to say thank you so much to each and every one of you that has tuned in to the first four episodes. We have received such positive feedback, and it honestly makes me so happy to hear that even though it's only been four weeks, we have already been able to spread a little bit of veterinary sparkle amongst our community. Our company has three core values, lifelong learning, community and connection, and veterinary happiness. And I think we would all agree that it is very difficult to achieve true happiness in our profession without continuing to grow in our skills and our knowledge, and without the support of a community that understands the stresses and strains of the job. When it comes to continuing professional development, it's really important not to neglect our personal development as well, and we would consider both of these to be essential for attaining career satisfaction, and subsequently fulfilment and happiness. Too often though, as a result of ever-increasing workloads and expectations, this tends to be overlooked. Despite its importance, it is never considered a priority, or the opportunities simply aren't there to be taken. To protect the future of our profession, and to protect ourselves, this really needs to change. Similarly, we need to remember that we are not an island. Now more than ever, we need our support networks and we need to be there to support other veterinary professionals, our colleagues. We should be united. After all, aren't we all on the same team? I saw this graphic on social media a few days ago and it said, be the vet that fixes another vet's crown without telling the world it was crooked. Ah. How good is that? And it is so true. In the current climate especially, we have enough challenges to deal with without also having to cope with veterinary professionals bringing down other veterinary professionals. 
If you have been following us for a little while, you will know that we are on a mission to bring the joy back into veterinary medicine. And aside from sharing the remarkable stories of our colleagues, one of the other ways we aim to do this is by discussing the inherent problems that many of us are currently facing in practice and then hopefully providing some practical solutions to those problems. So every month we will aim to tackle one particular issue that we know is potentially preventing you, our community, from being your best self both in and outside of the clinic. So it is with this in mind that I am really keen to introduce the topic of today's podcast, which is falling versus failing, an intriguing concept made famous or probably isn't quite the right word, maybe more socially recognized by the inspirational speaker, Simon Sinek. When it comes to choosing falling over failing, probably the first thing that we actually need to do is to change the language that we use. No one wants to fail. Nobody sets out on purpose to fail. No one likes to fail. And even just the word failing, it just sounds so bad. It has so many negative connotations and it sounds like something that we should be fearful of. And absolutely, it is something that we want to avoid. But also the term failure is one that is so broad. It covers the entire spectrum from something that is absolutely catastrophic, which, you know, in our line of work could be the loss of a patient, for example, to just a minor little hiccup, a near miss, if you will, a situation in which an error or a mistake was made, but was caught before it actually reached the patient. But regardless of where the failure occurs along that spectrum, it is still referred to as failure. And this really highlights how language is just so important. And it's highly likely that by changing the terms or the words that we use will also help us to change our mindset around failing or rather falling. Falling is something that happens naturally and it usually happens quickly and unless you are hurt badly by the fall, you also tend to get up quickly and therein lies the key. By adopting a falling over failing mindset, you give yourself permission to try something, to not get it completely right the first time or even the second time, but you don't give up. You get up and you try it again. Falling is something we want to embrace or in actual fact, we need to embrace it in order to grow and develop our skills and our confidence in that particular skill. It requires trying. It requires effort, taking risks and pushing the boundaries. And absolutely, there is no doubt that sometimes that can be really nerve wracking, but the ultimate result is definitely worth it. Take, for example, a baby learning to walk. If they didn't have that inherent desire to reach the end goal, which is obviously walking and having that independence to go wherever they like. So imagine if they just declared failure after their first tumble, then what a weird world we would all be living in. We'd be surrounded by children and adults just crawling around the floor. I mean, that's ridiculous, right? So why is it that little baby, when learning to walk, doesn't just give up? Why is it that they keep on trying? Well, maybe it's because when they do fall, there's no one there yelling at them. No one attacks them. No one is there saying, oh my God, you're so stupid. What have you done? No, 
Instead, we tell them, it's okay. You know, we encourage them. We give them our hand for support and steadiness and we walk with them. For us here in the Southern Hemisphere, it is the start of a new academic year, which means we have brand new final year students coming onto their hospital rotations. We have a new cohort of students entering their clinical years. And we also have all of our new, highly motivated, very excited new graduates just starting their first jobs. And so this concept is actually something I have been thinking a lot about recently, And it has actually made me think about how can we actually create an environment which facilitates or even encourages falling in the practice or hospital setting. Having had the pleasure of working with veterinary students and new graduates and interns or junior specialty trainees, I can tell you their fear of failure is real and it's limiting. It is so limiting. So the question is, as the more experienced or senior team members, as practice owners and as leaders, what can we do to help our new or recent graduates? And one of the key things is probably going to be defining precisely what failure is. And yes, potentially that is going to be different you know, practice to practice, but no doubt it's probably going to encompass those worst case scenarios, those semi-permanent or permanent problems, the loss of a patient. So, you know, perhaps it's the patient that dies under anesthetic or a patient that dies because of a misdiagnosis or a procedural problem. It could be the loss of a client or, you know, a severe breakdown in client relationships or maybe it's damage to the practice's reputation. But by clearly defining what you or what the practice would consider to be a true failure, and of course we do need to be realistic and we need to acknowledge that failure does exist. It's just that not everything that doesn't go 100% according to plan would be considered failing. But hopefully by having these conversations and providing these clear and direct boundaries, hopefully we will empower our new colleagues to be confident in the knowledge that they can fall and they have permission to fall. It's safe and their job isn't at risk if they do fall because we never want to get into the situation where they are too afraid to try something. And I guess the other thing we should also try and do, which is definitely easier said than done, especially, you know, when you have a busy clinic or you have a waiting room full of clients, is that if possible, if we can see them starting to fall, but we know, you know, the consequences of them falling are not too severe, if we can just try not to swoop in and do it for them or to take over. And rather, we can just kind of sit back and ask them, how can I help you to fix it? So I remember when I was a resident and was trying to do a lumbosacral CSF tap on a horse that had presented with neurologic signs and I think actually it ended up having West Nile virus if I remember correctly. Um, So anyway, I'd placed my first needle, everything looked good. I thought I'd felt that little pop but I didn't get any CSF fluid. So I adjusted my position a little bit and I tried again, still nothing. 
by this stage, I was obviously nervous, you know, because it was sort of the first time I was doing this. I was disappointed because I wasn't getting it. And I was also getting frustrated because I just didn't know what it was that I was doing wrong. So at that point, I actually asked my supervisor to take over. And being the really supportive and very good supervisor that she was, she said no. You know, the horse was well sedated. It was blocked. The horse was fine. And granted, it was a university hospital, so we did have that luxury of time. But no, my supervisor said, no, you need to, you know, do this. You just keep trying. So she didn't do it for me and she didn't take over. And instead, she just stood next to me and she helped me direct my positioning and boom, CSF sample obtained. So I'm sure we can all remember times when we have done things or tried something for the first time. You know, it wasn't quite going the way we wanted it to. And then someone has come over. They've not done it for us. And they haven't stood there and told us that we're really stupid for not being able to get it straight away. But instead, they've just given us a pointer or two. And what this really highlights is that falling isn't necessarily something we can do on our own. In our profession especially where, you know, there are high stakes, there are lives at risk, there is a real necessity for mentorship, for guidance and for leadership. And most importantly of all, there needs to be trust within the practice. So although we talk a lot about providing these safe learning environments for our students and our recent graduates, I really don't think the concept of falling versus failing is unique to them. And it always makes me wonder as more experienced veterinary professionals, why don't we ever give ourselves the same courtesy or the same opportunities? Don't we also have the right to fall once in a while? Because that's really the only way we are going to continue to develop or progress. Like Master Shifu says in Kung Fu Panda, if you only do what you can do, you will never be more than you are now. If we don't let ourselves fall, if we never practice outside our comfort zone, if we never push ourselves to the point where we do fall, if we play it safe the whole time, then you could argue in a way we are kind of failing failing ourselves, selling ourselves short and not fulfilling our potential. To play devil's advocate though, given our line of work and the fact that potentially there are our patients' lives at stake, is playing it safe problematic? Is there such a thing as playing it too safe? In the true sense of the word, no, but staying within that comfort zone leaves little to no room for development. Where is the progress? Where does the career satisfaction come in? It's certainly not to say that we need to be cavalier or careless about things and we certainly don't want to be putting our patients or our colleagues or other people at risk. We fall in as controlled an environment as possible with the caveat being that we do actually learn something from the experience. So when I was doing my master's research, we had to place intra-arterial catheters into the carotid artery to facilitate arterial blood gas analysis and this was a new technique I was learning and again I was really lucky to have a great supervisor who mentored me through the procedure. What I did forget though was the fact that these catheters were placed in the carotid artery and the horses were conscious. So not really thinking about it I flushed the catheter with heparinized saline. 
And the next thing I knew, the poor pony became really wobbly on her feet. She started to show, um, you know, some significant neurologic um, signs uh, associated with that intracarotid injection. And thankfully, she did recover quickly with no sort of significant or long-lasting consequence. Did I make a mistake? Yes. Did I fail? No. I didn't fail. I fell. But did I learn something? Yes. Don't flush an arterial catheter when the horse is conscious. Lesson learnt and I haven't done it again since. So if we do continue to fall but we never learn anything from those experiences, so we keep doing things the same way, never improving or progressing, then in some ways that too is failing. With that said, maybe we can consider falling as a minor setback that provides feedback on how to do it better next time. But in order to succeed, you do need to get back up and try again, whilst acknowledging the fact that, yes, you might fall again. And something that could potentially be quite useful in this context is the habit of reflective practice. Now, this definitely wasn't something I was taught at vet school, um, but it is now well and truly incorporated into the veterinary curriculum and for good reason. Reflective practice is a process of critical evaluation and self-assessment that requires careful examination of a situation or event in order to learn something from the experience. In many cases, whatever it is that is learnt tends to lead to a change in perception or behaviour that is almost always positive. Now, there is no getting around the fact that this process can be really uncomfortable as we do need to be open to and honest about the fact that maybe we did make a mistake. Maybe we could have made a better decision. But again, so long as we can learn from these cases, then we are continuing to develop as veterinary professionals and bettering ourselves and our abilities. Engaging in self-reflection also gives us power. It allows us to identify our strengths and our weaknesses. And maybe in reality, these are actually different to what you originally thought. It can help to highlight the areas where we might need more training or education. And that's not a bad thing. It might also help us to identify whether or not our current practice policies and systems are still valid or are there protocols that need updating. Yes, I can hear what you're saying. That all sounds great in theory, but as if I have the time during my properly overbooked day to engage in reflective practice. And I hear you. I promise you I do. But I guess this is where we need to think about enforcing some boundaries. And I can feel your eyes rolling. And trust me, I get it. When it comes to my patients and clients, I also don't really have any boundaries either. But as veterinary professionals, isn't it time that we prioritize our personal and professional development to ensure that we have careers that are sustainable and fulfilling? So is there a way that you can schedule yourself 15 to 30 minutes at the end of the day before you finish work to reflect on one or two cases of the day? Is it possible to integrate a weekly or fortnightly team meeting to debrief on certain cases or situations? Is this something that your practice leadership team is open to? It's certainly worth a discussion, don't you think? In my experience, another arm to reflective practice is to consider those things that you do really worry about in your job. So those things that truly do cause you anxiety. 
Recently, I was chatting with one of our senior residents about the types of emergency cases I'm most worried about coming through the door. And whilst having this conversation, it actually became really clear that there is an element of fear. Absolutely, there is a fear of failing. There's a fear that the patient will not survive because of my actions and my decision making. There's a fear of not knowing what to do in that very instance. And there's a fear that I won't be able to act quickly enough. So for me personally, the two cases that I worry most about being presented with is the horse that can't breathe due to an acute upper respiratory obstruction and a patient that is hemorrhaging from its carotid artery secondary to guttural pouch mycosis. Now, granted, these are extreme cases. You know, they are true emergencies and thankfully they don't occur with any frequency, but they are the types of cases where your immediate actions really do determine in that moment whether or not that horse lives or dies. So this conversation actually became a really neat exercise as we talked through exactly what we would do in that situation. We put ourselves in the scenario and discussed the exact steps that we would take. So for the horse with the obstruction, for example, you know, obviously the most important thing to do would be to secure an airway. So we would perform a tracheostomy. Now, this is a procedure I've done. I know how to do it. I can talk someone else through how to do it. But can I do it whilst dealing with a highly distressed horse and a panicked owner? I don't know. So I want to be as prepared as possible. So my plan moving forward is to practice performing tracheostomies on cadavers whenever I do have the opportunity. At the time this podcast episode comes out, we are at the very end of January. We are well and truly back into the swing of things. Christmas seems like an absolute lifetime ago and all of our good intentions and motivations surrounding our New Year's resolutions are probably starting to wane, certainly if you're anything like me. So perhaps the challenge that I'm going to put to you is actually quite timely. Based on the conversation we've had today, I put to you four action items and this week I challenge you to do just one. Okay, so here we go. Action item number one. Do you have a recent or a new graduate joining your practice? If so, become their mentor. Empower them to fall. Be there to help them fall. Like Simon Sinek says, if you want to experience happiness, do something for yourself. If you want to be fulfilled, do something for someone else. Number two, push the boundaries. Get out of your comfort zone, try a new skill, try a new technique, fall fast and get up quickly and keep trying until you succeed. Number three, engage in some reflective practice. So go out and treat yourself to a nice journal or a new notebook and I'm such a sucker for stationery so any excuse I'm happy to do that and just once this week I encourage you to write a short reflection on a case or a situation that you've managed. Was there anything you could have done better? How did that particular case make you feel? If you were presented with the same case or situation again would you do anything differently? And what did you learn or what were your take-homes from that case? And number four, which is actually my favourite, although it always does give me butterflies when I do it, is to talk through one clinical scenario that gives you the heebie-jeebies. What would you do in that situation? 
List the steps in the order that you would need to do them in. Is there a procedure that is required that you don't know how to do or you don't feel that comfortable doing? And if that's the case, what can you do to improve this? Make a plan for how you can learn how to do it or how you can practice it. So shoot us an email or DM us on socials and let us know which action item you chose and how pursuing it made you feel. Did it bring you some satisfaction? Did it bring some happiness, some joy? We would absolutely love to know. This week, I'm choosing reflective practice and I'll report back next week to let you know how I went. So just to wrap up, I want to end with a quote from Theodore Roosevelt that was made even more famous by Brene Brown. It is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again because there is no effort without error and shortcoming, but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who, at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. Wishing you a wonderful week ahead. Bye for now.